0: We're doing James 1, and we're going to read verses 2 through 8 today. Now, last week, we did 2 through 4. We're going to stay in 2. We're going to go all the way through 8, and today we're talking a bit about wisdom. But here's the name of our series. It's The Awakening. And an awakening, the way we're looking at it, is opening your eyes and coming alive to who you're made to become. So you see, it's like this story that you're swept up into. So here's what I want you to picture right now. So picture yourself, you're standing before a fire. And on the other side of that fire is the version of you that you're meant to become. And you've got your eyes on that, but in order to get to that version of you, you've gotta pass right through that fire. And so what are you gonna do? So, So you say, okay, I got my eyes on who I'm meant to become. I'm passing in I'm, I'm passing through the trial. So you walk in and you walk through the trial and as you walk, you find someone holding your hand and you get all the way through and you find that it was actually the creator of life and he walked with you through it and because he walked with you through it, you've now actually come more alive on the other side of the trial of fire. And this is kind of like, I mean, th- this is this is where James is taking us and It's kind of like this picture of the phoenix. You know what a phoenix is? It's this uh, mystical bird that shows up in a lot of old stories. And what happens to this phoenix is at the end of its life, it catches on fire and it turns to ashes. And then out of the ashes, it's reborn. And this just keeps happening over and over and over again. And that's really what James is getting us to do. I mean, James is like, become who you're meant to become. And in order to do that, you got to go through the fire. And you got to be brought to life out through the ashes. So that is today. That is going to be where we're going through the rest of the series. And uh, it's it's like you press on and through the fire and you emerge transformed. And... James is writing this letter because there's a problem in the church, it's a problem in all churches, and it's that we're a bunch of phony balonies. We say we believe something, but when we say we believe something, our lives are indicating that we actually don't believe what we say that we believe. In other words, our actions are not speaking louder than our words. Our words are screaming, but our actions are telling a different story. And James wants to call the church into maturity, and to live in such a way that's lining up with who they say they are and what they say they believe. So he's going to press in on us, and today we're looking at this word wisdom. Specifically, we're going to look at wisdom's trials and our transformation, and and that's the path to wisdom. I mean, you got to go through the trials to be transformed. So wisdom is an area that the church has neglected a bit. Because we like to jump forward, past wisdom. We like to jump to joy. We like to jump to strength and transformation. We like to jump to, uh, I just want a good life. We like to jump to all, well, we're jumping all around. And we'd like to jump to purpose. But the problem is that wisdom, well, the path to joy is a path through wisdom towards joy. If You wanna have purpose in your life, you have gotta pass through wisdom. If you want to have joy in your life, you've got to pass through wisdom. If you want to have strength, if you want to have some grit, you've got to pass through wisdom. If you have an anxiety problem, well, you have a wisdom problem. If you have a joy problem, you have a wisdom problem. So the path is always through wisdom. Now, the King Solomon, this ancient king, he was given this opportunity to ask God for anything. And he asked, he doesn't ask for Riches, he doesn't ask for success, he doesn't ask for power, he doesn't ask for a beautiful wife or a beautiful family, he doesn't ask for faith even, he asked for wisdom. And God says, good job Solomon, you asked for what you should have asked. He basically reached to the heights of the heavens, grabbed the thing that was the biggest to ask for, and asked for that. Now why? Why is that the best thing that he should be asking for? Well, because with, all other, with wisdom, all those other things are given to him. So, it's all wrapped up in wisdom. It's the greatest thing we can be asking for, and so we're going to ask for it today. So, here's a summary of what I'm saying today. You got the fire before you, right? You're like the phoenix, and you got to burn up. So, you, you pass through the fire. You find that you're holding hands with the creator of life, so the fire doesn't take you down. In fact, you come out of this fire transformed. The more of the version of you you're meant to become. However, once you get to the other side of the fire, James says this you still lack something. Wisdom. And the way to get more wisdom is to pass through more trials, more fire. And as you do that, so here's the three things you need if you want to be wise. You need trials, you need radical devotion to God, and you need to just simply ask God for wisdom. So that's where we're going today. Let me read our verses. James 1, 2 through 8. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right, last week we talked specifically about transformation and how James is starting out this letter telling us there is one great aim that the Christian ought to have in their mind. They ought to be obsessing about it. The thing that you think of in the morning when you wake up, before you go to bed, throughout the day, lunchtime, what are you thinking about? You're obsessing about your own transformation. He says in verse 4, be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, that's not to say that we will reach perfection in life. You're not going to reach perfection in life. If you think you are, well, good luck with that. It's not going to happen. So what is James saying by being perfect and complete? He's saying that. you're going on to maturity, and here's what maturity looks like. It looks like faith stretched out over a long period of time that will lead to your transformation. Faith stretched out that leads to your transformation, and then James says something weird. He starts it out. and He says the weirdest thing that someone could say sounds so unwise. He says, hey, count it joy when you have those trials. Be happy about them. Why does he say that? Well, it's probably the wisest thing that you need to hear because all of you are going to face trials. And what he's saying is if your aim of transformation, if that's what you're obsessing over more than anything else, what he's saying is that the thing that will put your transformation in hyperdrive is trials. So therefore, when the trials come, you can be all about hooray about it because you know that your great aim, which is transformation, is coming to you at the end of the trial. So you can be joyful about it. Your great aim is there. It, trials will refine you, bring you into transformation, and but, but it's faith stretched out over a long period that brings it about. Now, okay, so the degree that you want to be transformed is the degree to which you are able to have joy in the midst of the trial. If you believe faith stretched out that that's what's going to happen at the end of it. So you look in a lot of hero stories, and and here's how the story goes. There's this great task that this hero has to accomplish. But in order for him to get to that task, he's gotta be transformed. So He's gotta become this person who's able to do this. So how does that happen? Well, there's a bunch of trials that will happen in his life. And each trial grows him and transforms him enough to where he's doing something that no normal human being can do. How's he accomplished this? Well, because he had trials all along the way and it transformed him. And the irony is that we all want to be happy. And we think that the thing that will make us happy is staying away from the trials, staying away from the suffering, staying away, running from it. And what James is saying is, no, that's the wrong thing. Actually, the trials will transform you. So it's going to be what makes you happy. So therefore, run right into the fire. Now, I'm not saying go looking for trouble. But maybe some of you need to in the way that you're going for look i mean you you're going to get yourself into a little bit of holy trouble like like you're going to do something that's a bit dangerous and and the reason is because you've been running from pain and suffering all of your life which means you haven't been brave about things you need to be brave about and it's time to face those things and run right through the fire the key is in life is to be brave about it don't run don't run to pain don't run from it but do what is right do what is necessary and as you do that, you pass through the fire because you're just doing what you ought to do. But then you say, well, this, I'm, this is okay because at the end of this, I'm going to be transformed. And you're going to come out like gold. You're going to be tested. And that word test that we read in James, that James says this word test, it's, it, it has, it's, it's linking us back to this Old Testament idea of smelting. And smelting is when you take a precious metal, like gold, and you put it through the fire, and when you put it through the fire, all the impurities melt off of it, and its worth is revealed. Now, this chunk of metal that had impurities all on it, it, its worth didn't change. But the fire revealed the worth, and the same thing is with us. Who you are, the fire is revealing it more and more and more. all the impurities are being stripped off of you and you're showing more of who you actually are. And I, and I said this last week and I got to say it again. So often we act as if joy will come if everything around us is transformed. And we don't necessarily we don't want to be the one that does that work to make th- make our life be transformed or the things around us be transformed we we would rather someone else do those things and then once those things are transformed then we're going to have a better life you guys did it you guys you, i hate that that doors over there cuz you keep getting distracted this is so important okay look you're you're thinking if your life if somebody will fix the things in your life that everything's going to be better for you and that's not what james is saying at all he's saying no focus on your own transformation. It's not going to make you happy for everything else to get better. It's going to make you happy to look at yourself and understand. He's saying start with yourself. So uh, let's think about this uh, in politics, because I'm not supposed to be talking about politics, so I'm going to do it because that just makes things more fun. So we think of our political leaders or political parties, and we think, okay, if only this person could get in office, then everything will be better. Or if only this person will get out of office, then everything will be better. And we want everything around that to change. And if that will happen, then we'll be happier. Or we look in our workplace and we say, oh, my boss. If only my boss, if I just didn't have this boss or didn't have these people that I worked with, then everything would be better. Or our families, our spouse. Like, if only my spouse would change, then I'd be happier. Or if only my kids wouldn't drive me crazy, then I'd be happier. And James is saying, you have it all wrong. Stop looking at everybody else and what's wrong with them and how they're going to make your life better and start with you. And let, like, look at you and be transformed in your thinking and your feeling and in your acting. So let me say, Paul says it like this. Paul's talking to some leaders and, and he says, if, if you don't have your life together and if you don't have your family's life together, then you probably shouldn't be a leader. Because how in the world are you going to help everybody get their lives together if you can't even get your life together? So Paul's basically saying, start with you first. And I'm pretty convinced that the majority of us, deep down, we know, like, all right, I know that I'm made for more than this. And I know that I can, I know I need to live into that. But we kind of ignore that, but we very quickly point out what's wrong with everything that's around us and why those things are making us happy and aren't making us happy. And it's like, it's like this picture of a, of a hoarder that is helping people live minimalistically. It doesn't make any sense, and so this is what Paul's getting at. Like, start with you first, then move to your family, then move to the world around you. We got to take responsibility for, for, for what's happening. So, for example, if If you're just unhappy with your spouse, instead of saying all the stuff that's wrong with your spouse, first ask the question, well, what's what's going on with me? What have I done that's maybe causing them to react this way? And how can I take responsibility of that and fix that thing that I have done that I'm pretending like I didn't even do? So transformation starts with you. And this is great. I mean, it's, it's a task, but it's great. And the reason it's great is because you can do something about it. So I heard a story of a psychologist that was counseling someone, and and the woman walked in in the room and uh, basically said to the the counselor, I really hope all this is my fault. And the counselor said, why? And she said, well, because then I can do something about it. Because if it's not my fault, then I'm a victim of all of this and there's nothing that I can do and this is just the way my life is gonna be. But if it's my fault, then I can do something. The quality of your life can be incrementally improved if you would focus in on you. I'm telling you, like the impact that you can have on your life, if you'll just focus in on you instead of focusing on all the things and the people and whoever's in office or not in office and whatever's going on in your company or whatever's going on with what, just start with you and it will have a far greater impact on you, the quality of your life, the quality of your emotions, the quality of your spirituality than if somebody else fixed their life up. So James is saying, start with you, make your aim you. And if you don't, well, then it's kind of the slow fade into hell. Like this hell on earth that you just keep sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into. So what's that have to do with wisdom? Well, if you aren't growing, it's because there's a lack of wisdom. If You're not being transformed. There's a lack of wisdom. If you don't have joy, it's a lack of wisdom. So here's the interesting thing. So James says, be perfect and complete. And then he says, lacking in nothing. And then his very next line says, if any of you lack wisdom. And what he's doing, and there's nowhere else in the following paragraphs where he talks about us lacking something. So what he's saying is that they're woven together. Like, if you're not being transformed, like, there's probably a wisdom problem happening for you. He wants to start there. It's probably at the top. I I don't know. But he says, that's where you got to go. That's where you got to focus. So we're going to trust him. So... Wisdom and transformation are woven together. Why is that? Well, okay, stick with me. So if you build a house on rock, it stays steady. If you build a house on sand, it sinks. Because why? What does happen to sand? Well, you throw sand into the ocean, what does it do? It just sinks to the bottom. You throw throw a big, huge rock into the water, and it sits there. Like, it, it sinks to the bottom, but if it's big enough, it's above the water. So here's what wisdom is. Wisdom to be, is to be steadfast through your trials, meaning you have faith that is enduring the trial all the way through. It's stretched out. So if you lack wisdom, you have a faith problem. If you lack wisdom, you have a transformation problem. If you lack joy, you have a transformation and a wisdom problem. Here's what's happening. They're all woven together. If you want to be, be more joyful in life, You've got to pursue all the other things. You've got to pursue transformation. You've got to pursue wisdom. You've got to pursue trials even. You've got to pursue this faith that lasts and endures. There's a, there's a strong link between your faith and wisdom. I mean, this is this ancient concept from the book of Proverbs that they're woven together. Like, you, can, you try to separate. You want to see someone that's wise, that lacks faith, and you, they will not be wise. And this is, what, this is what we're going to see because it says if any of you doubts, and this isn't about never having a doubt. I mean, good luck with that. You're going to be plagued with doubts for the rest of your life. However, the way this word is being used is the same way Paul uses it when he's talking about Abraham. Now, what does Paul say about Abraham? Well, he says, he says, Abraham didn't doubt. Now, we know Abraham doubted, Abraham literally was told by God you are going to have a child at an old age and Abraham laughed in the face of God like he's doubting that's pretty like laughing in the face of God like I don't really recommend we do that very often but he does which means there's a there's a faith faith problem so what this is if you're not doubting it means you have faith that has been stretched out throughout your life that has led you to action. Meaning you are doing things in your life that looks like someone who is faithful, even though you're doubting. There's enough, anyways, there's a a mature enough of a faith for you to act in a way that looks, well, it looks wise. And the verse is saying, so the wise man doesn't look like a wave, but if you're you're a doubter, if you're not a wise man, you look like a wave, but it's not a wave that you see coming in from the ocean, like when you're on the beach, like these beautiful waves that you can surf on, not those kind of waves. The waves that are in the middle of the ocean that have no form to them, they just randomly pop up and pop back down. They're aimless. They're meaningless. There's no point to them at all. The wind is throwing them around. So this is the point here. This is the aim. The, the man who is wise is wise because he or she is aiming right at God there's a there's a deep wisdom in the soul where the soul is looking for the thing it should be aiming for and when the soul arrives at god the soul has found the aim that it ought to be aiming for and so second corinthians 4 says we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen so it's like this deep wisdom from the depths, from, I don't know where it's coming from, deep within us, from the cosmos, whatever it is. Like whatever whatever sounds cool to you, either way, you got to find it. And it's this wisdom that comes with faith where you can see the unseeable. You see God. So you aim for him. And that leads to faith and action, which is wisdom and a life that is well lived, that's been transformed. And I... We, you really have no idea what the life is that you're capable of if you will obsess over aiming at God and aiming at your transformation. I mean, we get so distracted, but I mean, if you really obsessed, like all of the time, aim at God, aim at my transformation, aim at wisdom, you have no idea who you would become. So I say, let's go for it. Let's trust James. Let's trust the Bible and go for it and see what happens to us. So, and then the next question is, why are all these linked together? Like faith and wisdom and joy and transformation. Well, because God, without God, you're completely unstable. It's just a, I'm sorry to say that about you, but you're an unstable person without God. A- have you seen anybody try to grow when they're on shaky ground, when they're unstable, when they can't get their balance? They can't. They're, they're just trying to stand up. They're just trying to survive. They can't think about their growth. They gotta get back on solid ground. So to be wise is to be stable no matter what your situation is. They don't look like a wave being tossed around, but they're firmly planted, steadfast, firm. So a man without faith has nothing to put his feet on, and so he just sinks to the bottom of the ocean into the depths, and every once in a while pops back up for air, but it just looks, I mean, it looks like he's struggling. Because he's got nothing to put his feet on. So how in the world is he going to grow? How in the world is he going to have joy? How in the world is he going to have any peace? How in the world is, is he going to be able to endure these trials? He's just going to sink down. And, and you say, well, okay. And, uh, here's what you have to understand. You have to have faith in something. Everybody puts faith in something. And whatever you put your faith in is the thing that you're standing on in the middle of the ocean. And if you put the, your faith in the wrong thing, it's like sand that sinks to the bottom. And then all you're doing is fighting to come up for air. So let's just, let's just trace this out. Let's get real practical here. The mom who builds her life on her children has built her life on sand. And so what happens? You build your life on your children, and then you find your meaning, your value. Your, I mean, it's so easy to, to find your happiness from your children. So you build your, your, I mean, that's, you're building your identity on them. So what happens? Well, uh, you sink and then if a, jo- if a trial comes, well, what do you do when, when a trial comes into your life? You go to the thing that's gonna give you some relief. Well, if you're building your life on your children, then you run right to your children for them to give you some relief in the midst of the trial. And guess what a tragedy that is. One, they can't hold you up, but two, now you bring them down with you because you're building your life on them. They can't hold you up above the waters. And it's, look, it's not that your kids shouldn't be a great purpose in your life, they should. They're a huge responsibility. They're a lot of work and it's good work. Do the work that is required to raise up great kids, but don't build your life on them. Because if you do, they're gonna know it. In the back of their mind, they're gonna know it and they're gonna feel it. And when they're going through something difficult, they might not tell you because, well, it destroys you when that happens. Or maybe, you know, they're little and they go through something in school like somebody was mean to them. Well, they're not going to tell their, their mama about it because they're going to tell their mom about it. And, well, their world just got hurt. So what does somebody do when their world gets hurt? Well, they go do something crazy. So you got a mom that's going in there punching kids. Not literally, but with her, with her words or with her actions. Or she's coming after parents. And the kid doesn't want that because that's going to embarrass the kid. And it's all because this mom built her life on her children. And, and uh, okay, so come on, let's keep letting this out. So, so then then the husband feels a bit neglected, but that's okay. That's not a big deal. But he already had a propensity to build his life on his career. So what's he going to do? Well, I'm going to build my life on my career even more now. And, and, and his career is, is sand. So maybe he could lose his job. Maybe he's got a bad boss. Maybe just something bad happens. Or worse than that, maybe he becomes successful. And then he just devotes his whole life to that. And then he's neglecting his family. He's neglecting his wife. He's neglecting his kids. He's neglecting his friends. He's neglecting the life that he's made for because he's building his life on his success at work. So he sinks down into this abyss. Or build your life. Your happiness, your stability, build it all on comfort. A life without pain. Sounds good. So you build your life on comfort. Well, one, it's impossible because this is the way this world is. I mean, pain is coming at you. So you've got to get used to that. But still, you try to avoid discomfort at all costs. So you never take risks. And you're becoming less and less brave. Now, here's how this ends up playing out for let's take a husband. So your, your wife starts looking at you like, what happened to the brave man that I married? Well, partly it's her fault because she wanted a comfortable life. And he's like, well, I want to give you a comfortable life. And so he chases after a comfortable life. And as this happens, well, he becomes less risk-taking, less brave. The irony is that the thing that attracted her to him in the beginning is that he was a man that was fully alive. He was brave. He was doing the things that, that he's required to do, like he's adventuresome. And then, well, she kind of tamed him and now she's like what happened to this man? Well, you took him away. But he gladly went because he's chasing the comforts of this world. And he looks like he has his life all together, but he's dying inside. And then pain comes. It finds its way in. Heartache, loss. And he's got nothing to ha- to stand on. So the bottom sinks out, and he can't he can't lead his family through it, and it's just this sinking down into the abyss. Or the last one, person that's chasing after Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Only I can find a love in a person. I would be complete. I would be whole. I would be lacking in nothing. And it's found. found. You get married. And then five years later, that person's very different. Maybe that person's going through something. Maybe that person has like they're going through something hard, and it's going to take them years to get out. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to run away from them? Well, that's not what love is. If that's the case, then you were just chasing a cheaper idea of love. So, or you're dependent on them to make you happy. And so, I mean, again, we're in the back of our minds. We feel that to be true. And so if that's happening, we're putting all this pressure on our spouse or some lover, or even we do this with friends, whatever it is. And when we do this, well... They can't handle that pressure. I mean, they have to be the one that makes you happy. That's a lot of pressure. So they start gradually running away from it. Maybe they don't leave you, but I mean, there's distance and your, your relationship isn't as good anymore. Or you're just looking for this perfect person that doesn't exist because that perfect person has to make you whole and complete, but they don't exist. So you scour the whole entire earth and you find that no one is worthy of you. Because your life had to be built on that person so this is all about wisdom it's so important we get it so here's the questions how do we get wisdom well if you want to be transformed if you want to be someone who's strengthened who's got some grit in the midst of trials if you want to be a strong leader if you want to be a good father a good mother a good friend you need th- you need three things you need trials you need devotion radical devotion to god and you have to simply God, ask God for some wisdom. So, our verses say that in order for you to have wisdom, you need to face trials. And in order to face the trials, you need wisdom. You see what's happening here? a circle. You need wisdom trials to get wise. And you need what wisdom to face trials. And the more you face a trial, the more wise you become. And the wiser you are, the better you are at facing trials. And they keep coming over and over and over again. And you're getting wiser and wiser and wiser as you go. And you're growing more. This is, this is the flywheel effect. So think of something like a giant Ferris wheel. And it's in the middle of the ocean. I don't know how it got there, but it's there. And it's got these... Uh, Instead of the places where you sit on the Ferris wheel, they're, they're sails. And this Ferris wheel, the faster it goes, is, is basically indicating how transformed you are, how wise you have become. And, and there's these bars that you have to push. So you're out there in the middle of the ocean, somehow this has happened, and you're pushing these bars, and it's moving, but it's barely moving at all. But then the wind of trials come, and it starts hitting you. It starts hitting the Ferris wheel and it starts pushing it faster and faster and faster. Now, if you don't have your life built on God, if you're not on the rock, then what happens? Well, you just topple over right in the ocean, fall to the abyss. But if your life is built on God, which is the wisest thing you can do, then it starts spinning faster faster and faster, and faster, and you're growing, and you're being transformed. Each time, you're like this phoenix that is rebirthed out of the ashes, grown, and transformed into new life over, and over, and over again. But your faith has to remain steadfast, or else you topple over. So the trial reveals if you're on solid ground or not. So when the trials come, how are you reacting? And that will tell you what you're building your life on. So trials, are they're good for us. And we can say that because they're transforming us and we could then we could have joy when the trials come. Now, that's the first thing. So you have to have the trials to get wisdom and the wisdom helps you have more, have, helps you face the trials better and then that gives you more wisdom and it keeps going. Now, the second is you have to have this radical devotion to God. So the word that's translated as double-minded, uh, commentators will say that that actually, this is probably not a great translation. Uh, it's, it's probably a word that James has made up. And it, it, it literally, ri- literally means double-souled, which means the eyes of your soul are looking in two different directions. You're not radically devoted to God. You're devoted to God, but you're also devoted to someone else or something else. And that is foolishness is what, is what James is saying. So this is played out actually pretty nicely in Proverbs 9. It's some beautiful imagery, but I'm not going to tell you, that, I'm not going to tell you it because it's, it's really hard to get into. I'm just going to tell you what it looks like. So, Proverbs 9 is saying that you are walking down, let's say, this dirt road. And along this dirt road, there's two houses, one on each side. And on this side is Lady Folly. And on this side is Lady Wisdom. And they're both sitting, standing outside of their porches their house, and they're calling you to come in. Now, Proverbs is likely a book that was, that was written for uh, older men to teach younger men, and so Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom are, are women because of that, and specifically Lady Folly is seductive. Oh, and by the way, they're cooking a great meal inside of this. This is the imagery in the house that there's this aroma that's coming out that smells so good. So, the problem with Lady Folly is that as soon as you see her, she seduces you right in. And she brings you right into, into her house. And as soon as you get into her house, you look around and you realize that everyone that has come before you has been thrown into this prison that's like a hell on earth. Or maybe a prison that descends into the abyss, the darkness, into death, into nothingness, into despair. And she's like a trickster and she just pulls you in. So, and, and this lady folly takes many forms. She's anything, she she, she will trick you with anything for you to build your life on that isn't God. So, if you make your kids your world, Lady Folly has tricked you into it. If you make your career your world, Lady Folly has tricked you in. If you make a lover your world, Lady Folly has tricked you in. She's enticed you in. And it will lead you into your own little personal hell on earth. Why? Because you're trying to build your life on something that can't hold you you sink down into the waters of death and you start tossing around and you look you're just life looks like you're just randomly coming up aimlessly just trying to get a breath of air and then you fall right back down that's why James is saying be so radically devoted to god that your eyes never fix on lady folly because if you look at her she seduces you in and you don't have a chance of getting out you're done for it. you you your eyes meet her eyes you're gone so if you don't want to fall in, in with Lady Folly, the answer is to simply ask God for wisdom. And it says that he gives it without reproach, which means he's giving it freely. You don't have to earn this wisdom. You just simply ask him for it, and he gives it freely. And when you ask for wisdom, here's what you have to understand. It's so important. Understand this. When you ask for wisdom, you are asking for Christ. Because Christ is... the Christ is Lady Wisdom. I know that sounds so strange, but Proverbs is telling us all throughout the Bible, everything's pointing forward, and then we see in Christ, he is the ultimate personification of wisdom. He is wisdom itself. There's nothing wiser than him. There's nothing you look up to that say, well, how do we prove that Jesus is wisdom? Well, if you try to prove that Jesus is wisdom by something else, you're saying that there's something wiser than him that proves it. No, it's him. He's the ultimate personification of wisdom so you're asking for him and the verse says that he will give generously now i'm doing a lot of james james is just he's he's a he's incredibly good with words and he confuses us a bit especially here because he the word generous can also be translated as single mindedness and so if if you think okay well we've been talking about double mindedness double-sold so it's likely actually that a better translation is Single-mindedness, which means that God is single-minded about one thing. What is he single-minded about? Well, he's single-minded about his glory, but here specifically what we're seeing is he's single-minded about you and your transformation. And that's why we think God is so amazing. That's why we want to give him glory, because he's after us. Like, so when you ask for wisdom, he gladly gives it to you because he's after you. But what specifically is he about? Well, he's about your transformation. He's about walking through the fire with you, bringing you to the other side, bringing you into the person who you have made to become. He's devoted to it without question, single-mindedly devoted to it. Now, that's everything for God. His aim is to keep you from falling in with Lady Folly. Now, here's the problem. Here's the worst problem. This is the biggest problem that we will ever have in our entire lives. Guess what it is? You've already looked at Lady Folly, and she's already seduced you in. She's already captured you. You're already in her grasp. So I want to tell you uh, really briefly the story of uh, the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia. So in this story, there's a boy, and his name is Edmund, and he's been seduced by this white witch who we will think of as Lady Folly. And she seduced him in with Turkish delight, which is like this thing that he eats, but either way, he's been seduced in. Now, through a through a series of things, he's, he's escaped her, but, and he's with Aslan the lion who represents Christ. But here, uh, here's the problem. He's a traitor. He's betrayed his loved ones. And so, he's with Aslan, but then the White Witch comes. This Lady Folly comes up, and she, She claims Edmund and she says, Edmund, this boy, he's a traitor and every betrayer belongs to me and I'm going to kill him. I'm taking him down and there's nothing you can do to stop me because the law that is written in stone essentially says that he is mine. And if you try to take him from me, then all of this world will fall apart. So Aslan the lion who represents Christ says, let's talk. And so they go into this tent and they talk and they come out and everybody's waiting what's going to happen to Edmund and Edmund's waiting and Aslan the lion says she has agreed to let him go free and everybody cheers but Aslan looks like he's he looks sorrowful and and then the witch turns to him and she says how do i know you're going to keep your promise and he just growls like he roars and it knocks her back in the seat as if to say that this is not a lion that breaks his promise but we're never told what the promise is so then night comes And Aslan sneaks out and he starts leaving. And Edmund's two sisters see him doing this. And so they follow him. And then he sees them and they're talking. And it's just like a sweet moment. But then he comes to this place where he's got to go somewhere where they can't go. And so he says, Stay here. And he walks out. And there is this evil white witch, Lady Folly, and all of her minions. So he walks up, they knock him to the ground, they tie him up, they strip him of his mane, and they drag him up to this altar. And she takes a dagger, and before she plunges it in him, she whispers something to him. this is where we hear what the promise is. She says, did you really think that by trading places with that traitor that he wouldn't be mine eventually? I'm taking this whole world once you're dead and he'll be dead along with it, along with you. And then she plunges the dagger right into him and his eyes widen and he dies. And then this witch and all of her minions run off to take Narnia. Well, once they leave, the two girls walk up to him and they're just like, they are I mean, they're in tears, they're just distressed, I mean, this is Aslan, this was their hope, and they say, we've got to go tell everybody what's happened. So they go to leave. And as they're leaving, the earth starts shaking, and there's a crack in this stone table, which is like an altar. And they turn around, and they see it, and they see that Aslan's gone. And they think, oh, no, someone's taken him. But then, through the clouds, there's this archway over the altar, and the clouds part, and the sun shines through, and then you see Aslan risen with his main back in all of his glory. And they run up to him, and he explains, he says, this foolish witch, if only she knew that the deep magic, and she's talking about the law, when he says deep magic, it's like the law of the land, deep stuff, is that whenever an innocent dies in the place of a traitor, death is reversed. So here's the story of you. You're like Edmund, and Lady Folly has captured you in, and you call out for wisdom. Wisdom is on the other side of the street, but wisdom who is Christ has heard you, and so he crosses the street. He crosses over into the darkness, into the other world, into the place where, in, into the abyss, into places where someone like him does not belong, and he comes in, and he makes, a, well, I guess you could say he makes a bargain. He, he basically trades places with you, and he says this to the lady folly, like, He, she is mine, you can have me. And well, Lady Folly says, that sounds awesome. So you're free, but Lady Folly's plan is, well, I still got them, but he, wisdom, rises from the grave, wraps you up, takes you back over to the other side with him forever. This is the one that we build our life on. He's steadfast, he doesn't move, He's unchanging, and he's brave. He's the one that crosses over to come and get us. So why would you be radically devoted to him? Because he did all of that for you. And it's not just that. He walks through the trials with you, holding your hand along the way. And you know that you can rely on him because he's faced the ultimate trial of death on the cross and lived through it. So you can rest easy every trial that you go through because he is with you. And then you can see it as a joy because at the underside of it, you are transformed. That's the story of you and God. And you have to live into that story. And the way you, that you live into that story is by faith. By, by just going for it. And say, I'm not going to build my life on anything else but him. All right, let me pray. God, we do ask that you would... Help us to take this risk, not just for the first time, but we would take this risk every single day. That we would build our life on you, not something that sinks to the bottom of the ocean, but you. God, we don't, we're tired of being these waves that are tossed about, aimless and randomly taking breaths of air, feeling like we can't get our life together. We just want to build our life on you, God, and rest in you, and have peace in you, and have joy in you, so that we can be courageous and brave and face the trials of every single day, knowing that you are with us and you cross through the fire with us to the other side. And so God, rise us up out of the ashes every time we pass through the fire in new life and show us that this is true and help us believe. In Jesus' name, amen.